I'm here with uh, Ken Yazinski. He is with Catholic Speaker Ministries. You can find him at catholicspeaker.com. And Ken, we're in the car driving up to Hansfeld. This is a, a first for me to do an interview this way, but I thought it might be a good time to fit in. You better tell your listeners that you almost <laughs> rode us off the road and hit those rumble strips. This is going to be episode final here. Yeah. <laughs> So if it ends in a burst of flames, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Tell us about your story, uh, your conversion story, uh, where you're from, and and uh, your background in the faith. Sure, I, you know. First time in Alabama, it's so good to be here with you, Father, and uh, it's a, I feel like an incredible miracle that I'm able to come and to share my story because I feel like growing up, I won the jackpot. I grew up in a family where mom and dad loved the faith, they raised us, they catechized us, they gave us the sacraments, we said grace before meals, went to a mass every Sunday and every night before we'd go to bed, we said the rosary. and. Something very significant about that was that when I was little, we would sit down in these nice comfy chairs. My dad would hand out the rosaries. And when we would sit in our chairs, my father would get on his knees. And he had this way, this way of living his faith. And he demonstrates it with his life. He still does today. But that experience of watching my dad get on his knees had an impact on me. And I remember thinking one time when I was really little, I want to be like my dad. And he would say the rosary so devoutly. And I remember one night very particularly that I thought, I'm going to say it just like my dad. <laughs> so I, I closed my eyes, I fixed my attention upon God. And I, I think this was the very first time that I really meant a prayer. And I said, I said, began to say the Hail Mary. And as I began to say the Hail Mary, I never shared with this with you earlier, but I had this really profound experience of God's love as a little boy, and that He was real, and that He came to me, and it was a very special experience. But it's interesting about experiences. I quickly forgot about that experience. I hit high school, and I drifted from my faith. Maybe not in the way I was still going to mass on Sunday because I went with my parents, and we still said the rosary every night before we'd go to bed. But I. I just kind of lost a sense of God's personal love. I, I saw the faith, I guess, slowly as impersonal, irrelevant, something that took away freedom, then gave freedom. And um, I would say that by the time I hit the 12th grade, my heart had become hardened to the truths of the faith. And on the exterior, I think people would have thought, hey, that Ken Yuzinski, he's, uh, he's a good Catholic kid. He goes to Mass on Sunday, he says grace before meals. But, uh, you know, interiorly, I. And I think I'd have to say I started to resent the faith because it was all the stuff I had to do. And so when my dad brought me to university, he drove three hours and then he dropped me off at the University of Saskatchewan where I was going to pursue a law degree and an accounting degree. I was three hours away from my family and I thought I can start all over, I can live my life the way I want to live and my parents are not going to be looking over my shoulder to see what I'm doing. And so. I decided to live my life the way I wanted to live and I, I quickly got snared in, in the typical, I guess, party scene that you would typically think what would be on campus and 
my life centered a lot on pleasure and a rebellion to the faith. And uh, if I look back at that time of my life, I definitely found pleasure, but I did not find peace. And I remember coming home from a party one time drunk, kneeling down on the side of my bed thinking, God, if you're real, why do I feel so empty inside? Why am I so unhappy? I mean, after all, I'm doing everything I, the world is telling me that brings happiness, but I'm so miserable. And I had really a desperate prayer coming from my heart, and I really felt in that moment God was dead. And I realized it was not God that had died, but it was me that really had died inside. I just really had lost my faith. I'd lost my way. I was in, I was in darkness, and I was broken. And it's interesting how God uses relationships sometimes to speak to us. But I signed up at the very beginning of the year, and I joined this basketball team. And these guys on the basketball team, I guess that they were into their faith. They, we'd be on the basketball court, and they'd be talking about their prayer time and Eucharistic adoration and discerning their vocation. And I'd never seen young guys talk about their faith this way. But the biggest thing about about them on the basketball court it wasn't their basketball skills <laughs> it was their it was their joy they really loved life and they liked me they accepted me even though I was telling them about all the stuff that I was doing on the weekends and how it didn't really conform to their morals that they just they kept kept on welcoming me they they would take me out to things and and I um I remember one of them coming up to me saying Ken do you want to go to mass with me tomorrow and I looked at him and said, but it's Wednesday. <laughs> I, I didn't know. I didn't well, is it, well, I, well, I would have said, yeah, I didn't know there was Daily Mass. <laughs> I, I didn't know you guys, you know, people went to Daily Mass, especially young people who, and I, this really caught me thinking. Like, I know I, I wasn't interested to go to Daily Mass, but I wanted to be like them. This, one, of this, one of these guys came up to me and said after, uh, would you like to go to a retreat where we're going to be going? And I thought, well, if you guys are there, I was thinking, you guys are fun. Wouldn't mind spending time with you guys. And if the retreat is good, well, that's just going to be a bonus. And I guess at that point in my life, I was also really searching. I knew that the decisions that I, were, I was making just wasn't working. I was miserable. I was probably depressed. I really disliked myself and the direction my life was going in and I, I needed something. So I, I thought I had nothing to lose. And this weekend was so important because I, I'll never forget it. It was a Saturday night, the speaker was at the front and I was very right in front of him. And he was talking about God's love as though God was real, that he was personal, that Jesus was alive and that he has a plan for our life. and. He loves us as we are. And although this maybe wasn't all completely new to me because I was catechized, it was like my heart was hearing it for the first time. Like God loves me as I am. I mean, I remember that line. That just really impacted me because I thought, I'm not very good. I've left the faith and that God would love me as I am. And I was listening and the speaker asked if we'd ever made a decision of faith where we had surrendered control of our life into the hands of God. And I was aware of these kind of decisions. Mom and Dad would talk about it, but it'd been a long time since I'd made that kind of decision. So I thought to myself, well, my life isn't going very well. I'm depressed. 
I'm miserable. He says God loves me as I am and he has a purpose for my life. Well, then I guess I'll, I'll give God a chance. And I said, uh, Jesus, I'm yours. I surrender my life to you. And this was while the guy was speaking. I closed my eyes and said, Jesus, I am yours. And as I said this, I had this profound experience of God's love. And I remembered when I was a little boy and I met my prayers. I had forgotten. And I just started to weep and weep and weep. And it was also an intimidating experience because I didn't understand why I was having this experience. I'm like, why am I reacting emotionally so strongly to God's love? Like, why is no one else reacting this way? Why am I the only one? And it was just so, and I'd heard of people experiencing God, the stories my parents would tell me, but they always had an ST dot at the beginning of their name. You know, they were saints and I was a sinner and I knew it. Yet God would come to me, and that was, I think, what was so overwhelming. And you described it too as like acceptance, right? You felt accepted. Yeah, that that was it. Like it was that I was enough. In that moment, I was enough for God to love. Just in that moment, I didn't have to earn His love because I, I would have to say my Catholic faith up to that point was based upon doing something to get God to love me. I would do this, do this, go to Mass, go to the sacraments, and then I would earn God's favor and blessing. And there was no understanding of grace. And really the problem with that kind of faith is that you become your own Savior. After all, who needs, who needs God if we can earn our way to heaven? Who needs Jesus? What, what role does grace play? And that's how I saw it. And it really led me to a dark place because I knew I had lived my life in rebellion to God, and therefore He must be angry with me. The reward I'm, I, I should be shooting at now is out of reach and now what I deserve is really punishment. But that's not what I got. I opened my heart a crack and God came to me and just poured upon me love. And I felt so unworthy. And I really did. I just wept and I wept and I wept. And I lost track of the talk. I, I, I remember opening my eyes and the speaker was done speaking. And just, just, I felt like I'd come home. And you, you told me something earlier that really struck me that, that it, it, it's not, the experience itself isn't enough. It's the decisions you make after that. Tell us more about that. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, because after that weekend, I started making changes in my life. I, I, I went to confession for the, had my first honest confession. I started daily prayer time. I started to go to Mass on Wednesday. <laughs> and always on Sundays. But I made these decisions and I realized something. There was something in my life that wasn't there and it was peace. And when I reflect back upon this period of time in my life, I really believe it wasn't the experience that changed my life. Because I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm one who believes in life-changing experiences, but I believe in life-changing decisions. Because I, it, seems that, it seems that way that two people can have exactly the same experience. One turns left and the other right. Why? Is it the experience? Well, they had the same experience. Let's say they grew up in the same home. It's, it's how they responded to the experience and interpreted that caused them to change directions and make decisions. And so in my speaking for the last, I've been speaking full-time for the last 19 years. 
when I see people have these experiences, authentic, ex I would say, authentic experiences, the personal love of God. But unless those experiences are followed up by godly decisions, the experience is wasted. And this is the beauty of our faith. The, our faith, the Catholic faith, gives us discipline. The sacraments don't happen accidentally. No one accidentally receives communion. No one accidentally goes and confesses their sin. No one accidentally lives in the life of the church. It happens through intentionality. And so what I see this experience doing for me, it inspired decisions in my life. Not that it was useless, so I'm so thankful. But what good is it to have a godly experience unless we're faithful after? And um, I think that was a big lesson for me. Because sometimes when I share my experience, people are like, well, I can't, I can't relate with that. I've never experienced that. Where does that leave me? And I would say we don't need to have an experience to decide to say, Jesus, I want to live for you. The, the, the experience of Jesus isn't a prerequisite to live for him. But what I have found is that the more we decide to live for Jesus, to say, Jesus, I want you in my life, the more we begin to recognize his presence in our life. And at least this has been my experience in, in my life. I, I feel like the discipline, sacramental life, a daily prayer life, has opened my eyes to the good, true, and beautiful, and a, a deeper encounter with Christ, an awareness of Him in, in, in my life, and I'm very thankful for that. Now, you're a very busy man. You're, you're a speaker for a living. You travel a lot, especially in Canada. You have five kids. How do you, what is your prayer life like today that sustains you? How do you find that strength? <laughs> it's more like, Lord, help me. <laughs> oh, my prayer. Um, it is my the lifestyle that Jan, my wife Janelle and I are living is a beautiful life. I feel very very blessed, uh, and I know that I. It's also challenging. We have four children: the fifth on the way, and one in heaven. And so, it's not easy being a dad. Like that's for me the biggest challenge of my life is just being a, a good virtuous dad, kind and loving to my kids. Uh, the biggest problem in my life is myself. And I need God in my life. Like I just can't do this. I can't do life without God. So how essential is my prayer life to my daily life? It's, they're inseparable. I need to go to God daily without that I have nothing to give. I notice, just speaking personally, that if I'm not pay, praying regularly and I'm not giving attention to my prayer life, I get cranky. I don't know about you, Father. <laughs> the wheels come off when you stop praying. <laughs> I get cranky. I'm not as patient. Um, I feel like when I don't pray, I've done something bad to myself and to my family. And yes, my prayer does honor and glorify God, but I, there's something about being disobedient and not being faithful to prayer that just uh, gets me the wrong way and saying, Ken, you're off track. So my prayer life, um, I love in the way that I pray. I think people pray in all sorts of different ways for myself. Uh, I like silence. I like solitude. I feel like sometimes that's difficult to get in a house full of uh, four little kids, a fifth on the way. Our oldest is seven. We're homeschooling. 
And so I really cherish those times where I can be silent and just fix my mind and my attention upon God. Uh, it might be something that's good or true or beautiful. And I just think about it. A lot of my prayer is that, of just meditating upon something that's beautiful or true. And then I'll go into the scriptures and I'll pull off what something will send out to me and I just stop and I just sit with it and I'm in silence with it. Another big part of our spiritual life as a couple is that we have a great Marian devotion. And so uh, my wife Janelle and I, our goal is to say the rosary daily. I can't say that as a couple we're always perfectly faithful to it, but uh, that's our goal. That's our Lenten uh, challenge that we're going to have coming up as a couple. And more particularly, we're saying that as a family, because um, I know that's been a blessing in my life growing up as a kid with my parents. And tell us some about your ministry, uh, Catholic Speaker Productions. Um, tell us about all the stuff you got going on there. Sure. I think that if the world could travel with me, the world would believe there is a God. I just, it's incredible what I see. A big part of what I'm doing right now is two-day parish missions. But they're just not... I feel like it's unique in the fact that it's evangelistic. I'm not an apologist. I'm not a, cate a catechesis. I'm an evangelist. I feel like God has really asked me to proclaim a clear and simple message of the gospel to the average person who sits in the pew to a deeper relationship to Christ. And the question I have with for every audience that I speak to is this. Have you committed yourself to Jesus Christ? Have you welcomed Him into your life? And are you living the life that He has for you as given to us through Holy Mother Church? So the way that we're doing this right now is th through a two-day mission where I go into a parish and, and proclaim the gospel in a very simple and a clear and relevant way. And each night is followed up by Eucharistic adoration. So we talk about Jesus, then we encounter Jesus. And on one of those nights, all the participants are welcome to make commitment to Christ. I simply ask them this question, are you aware of a conscious, concrete commitment to Jesus? And it's amazing how people respond to this because I'll, uh, I'll do it in the context of musical Eucharistic adoration. So I'll be at the piano, we'll be before Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament and, and about a, you know, five, 10 minutes into it, I'll ask the question, have you ever committed yourself to Jesus before? If you haven't and you'd like to, I'll say something like this, as a sign of your first time conscious and public commitment to Christ, I welcome you just to lift up your hands as I sing the next song. And you'd be amazed at how people will respond because I would say if I've never been to the parish before, 60 to 90% of the people will respond. That means 60 to 90% of the people who are at the parish mission have never made a conscious, concrete, and public commitment to Jesus Christ. And that's, that t that's very, very telling because we can't be a disciple of Jesus Christ accidentally. It's in, you can't, no one just trips and says, oh, I'm a, a disciple of Jesus Christ. How did that happen? It only happens through our decisions, through our discipline and intentionality. And one of the big things is committing ourselves to the life of Jesus. And I think a lot of times in the church, we presume this decision to have been made. And I think presuming this decision to have been made is a tragic error. Um, so I just, and it's not everything, right? But we have to start somewhere. Um, in this encyclical 
mission of the Redeemer, Pope John Paul II said, conversion means accepting by personal decision the saving sovereignty of Christ and becoming his disciple. So I take his words to heart. Say, have I made that decision? And I'm continuously, am I continuously making this decision? And so I challenge the people at the parish mission, is this what you want in your life? Have you made this decision before? And it's beautiful to see how people respond. And I think people respond particularly in a generous way when they have Jesus before them <laughs> in the context of Eucharistic adoration. It just is a beautiful thing. Following that, while I'm there, I train the leadership of the parish on how to follow up with all the participants. Because everyone talks about, well, what happens after a great faith experience? Everyone talks about follow-up. So the, I agree, it's, it's necessary. So I work with the parish. I have a training for them on how to follow up with, with the participants. And then I place within their hands a tool, which is the third part. And that is a six-session video follow-up program that is specifically designed to build upon the mission experience and that and I'm the main presenter in it and so the parish then receives training on how to implement the program to follow up with participants and I think it's I'm very excited about it in fact we've uh, we've just started promoting it and I'm very excited about it because I know what it's like to sit in the pew and I hear a speaker and I get captured and, and I feel like I'm connected to them I would be way more likely to sign up and continue to journey with them if they had something to offer. And so here I'm saying, I, sp I spend two days with people. We, they feel like there's some sort of connection. And then, then I invite them to say, well, you journey with me for the next six weeks to a video follow-up program hosted at the parish level. They respond very, very generously. And they're connected to the parish because the parish it's hosted at the parish level and the, and the parish leaders are leading it. So then it connects people to the parish. So I think uh, I'm very excited about it. And some of the elements of that follow-up would be, uh, describe that a little more about. Yeah, so it's not your typical program in that it's catechetical or apologetics. It's not. It continues with this theme of evangelization, of relating certain points to a person's life and say, how can this affect my life? For example, there's one session on the importance of an honest confession. And so what we don't do is we don't get into what is a venial sin and a mortal sin. I would clump that under more catechesis. What I do talk about is how sin destroys our life and, and, and rips out the the peace of our life and how our, we can encounter Jesus in the sacrament of reconciliation where he can heal us he can restore us back to the church that we can tangibly experience his peace there's nothing peaceful about sin and then part of each session including this session on the sacrament of reconciliation I have a testimony of somebody whose life has been changed by that particular topic so in this example I have a friend whose whose life was changed by an honest confession his life was consumed by a sex addiction sex addiction it was ruining his life it was ruining his family and how he went to the sacrament of reconciliation had his had an, an honest confession for the first time in his life he encountered Jesus Christ and he was healed and how his encounter with Jesus in the sacrament restored him back to the church, restored his marriage, really changed his life. And each episode is like that. So you have, uh, go through a, a spiritual point, but then have a lived experience of someone who gives testimony to that truth and saying, this is how it's changed my life.
Another example would be the authority of the church. One could get into the apologetics of it and go into where Jesus turns to Peter and says, You are Peter, upon this rock will build my church. Nothing wrong with that. But my angle is, how can we show people that the authority of the church can change our life for the better and practically help us make decisions in life? And so that was my angle, um, to touch people's hearts this way. So um, I share personally experiences from my life of how the teaching magisterium has changed my life, particularly in the area of, of uh, natural family planning. And my struggle initially when I came back to the church of the church's teaching regarding this. Uh, you know, I, I was I, when I joined the church, I, I came back to the church, I, I had sort of cherry-picked what I wanted. And I, 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 I actually I didn't really realize that was not appropriate at the beginning when I first I didn't know. And then how the teaching of the church has really given my wife and Janai, Janelle and I just an incredible blessing. Well, were you, was that a story for a journey for both of you? Or by the time you got married, you were fully committed? Yeah, exactly. Even by the time I was doing full-time ministry, it was a couple of years where I was just a little confused about that. Basically, what happened was I came across a little book called uh, The Catechism of the Catholic Church. <laughs> and I realized something. The Catechism of the Catholic Church wasn't somebody's opinion. It wasn't like a cardinal's opinion or you know a pope's opinion or something like that. It was, it was the official church's teaching summarized in a book. It was thousands and thousands and thousands, uh, two thousand years of tradition filtered through the councils of the church, through saints meditating upon you know the truths of the church, all filtered through the councils of the church and the teaching authority of the church, bringing it all together, summarizing it in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, comparing that to Kenyazinski's, at that time, 22 years of wisdom. <laughs> and I realized something, Father. I got it wrong sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I preach on that theme all the time. It's like, we get it wrong. It's like we have self-centeredness and we yes. excuse our logic and and... So that's what convinced you then, the catechism? Well, it just seemed, I, see, the thing was, getting it wrong once was enough in the spiritual life for me, I realized. And so I thought, I, it's reasonable for me to trust the teaching of the church even though I don't like some of the teachings. And that's where I was at that time. There were certain things I didn't like. Honestly, I, did, I didn't like it that... A man and a woman couldn't use contraception in their marriage. I didn't like it, but I was going to trust the church's teaching because I knew I got it wrong sometimes. And I, I, I acknowledged, okay, I'm missing something here. And it was a reasonable step of faith for me at that point. And you know what I see? Like we have a number of families around the network that are they're generous, open to life, and they have a number of kids. And I, I just see a wonderful discipline just in the men. I just see it like you talk about like the time you know and raising kids and you know, your time's not your own and you just have to be more efficient and everything and it just seemed like it has a, a wonderful effect it seemed like women certainly have to grow and discipline and everything but they just seem like they get there a little quicker or something you know and I, I love to see that transformation in men that harnesses like their gifts and talents puts them at service of the family has that been your experience yeah it, well, it just without discipline, one will never find happiness. You know, if we're just left to our own desires and our own devices and 
want to act on every little inclination we have in our hearts, we are going to live a life of ruin. And so the church, in her wisdom, in every area of our lives, promotes virtue. And virtue um, is acquired. It takes a while. And sometimes it's hard at the beginning, especially if you, one area of your life is not virtuous. It takes a while to acquire that virtue. But after you acquire the virtue, it becomes easier. Like a figure skater on the ice, it looks so effortless. Well, they didn't, didn't start that way. It looks effortless, but they acquired that smoothness on the ice. And I think you look at the lives of the saints, sometimes it looks like their lives were just so effortless. They just acted so heroically virtuous all the time. And probably didn't always start that way. They acquired the virtue. And I think regarding sexual intimacy with man and with a wife and with a man and woman in, in matrimony, I mean, you need discipline. It's silly to think we need we need discipline in all other areas of our life, like eating or spending or relating with others with patience. But we don't need that in sexual intimacy. It's not logical, and you need it. And without it, you'll never have a happy marriage. And never, never find order never find God's peace yeah I was with a high school friend I might see them like every five years or something and uh, I was meeting with a couple of them and this one a woman a classmate she's got three kids and um, we, a group of us were meeting and she brought her I think eight or nine year old and her eight or nine year old was so cute and beautiful just lit up the room and it just hit me about you know because you know you know I knew this person like for years and years, high school, elementary school, and to see her mature into this woman, into a mother, and just the greatness of having kids. You know, because she's accomplished, she's a doctor and all this yeah. stuff. But I, I thought being a parent is such a great thing and it's not properly praised in our culture. <laughs> Do you find that true? Well, it's it's the great, one of the, I don't the greatest privilege, privilege is to raise a child like we are co man and woman are co-creators with God and when we bring forth a child into this world we're bringing an eternal soul into this world someone that is going to live forever I do not take that responsibility lightly and where that soul is going to live forever that's that's another thing it's my responsibility as a father to raise my children in the fullness of truth, pointing them to heaven. Because what else is there? I mean, we're on this life, we're pilgrims on a journey. This is not our final destination. The goal of me and my wife as a parent, we're, we're not, our goal is not to raise simply productive children in society who are, you know, giving to society. We, we want to raise saints. We want to raise, raise people, world changers, who can impact this world for Christ and to lead as many other souls to heaven as possible I mean, that's what I see as my responsibility as a parent um, we get so sidetracked sometimes by thinking we have to plug our kids into all these extracurricular activities and we're running and running going from here to there and everywhere and we forget about their soul now it's okay to get involved with extracurricular activities but I see families so it seems so sidetracked and burden and and forgetting the main thing yeah. the main thing is heaven the main thing is relationship with God that's the main thing I I could care less about the extracurricular activities if it's gonna leave my children's soul away from God 
what would you tell a, a young man, you know, he, he wants to get married and what would you tell him to convince him about the church's teaching on contraception and family? I mean, it is a sacrifice to have kids. You have to give up stuff and everything. And I, I, I want to tell people sometimes too, but you know, just think ahead. Like when you're an older man, you'll have a family around you, grandkids around you. What, what could be richer than that? <laughs> a spiritual legacy. Yeah. I mean, that's sometimes how I see it. Um, I, it is. I, I hope and I long for the day, God willing, that I am surrounded by a whole bunch of grandchildren who are, who are in love with Christ, who are impacting the world, who are using their gifts and talents to serve Christ. Um, nothing worthwhile happens without sacrifice. People are going to sacrifice either way. It's just a matter of what they're going to sacrifice for. So you're going to sacrifice something for your career? Okay, you're going to sacrifice. It's going to cost you to climb that corporate ladder. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you if you want to be a professional athlete. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you great discipline. Nothing wrong with some of those things, but it's the idea that we don't need to sacrifice in life is ridiculous. Everyone has to sacrifice. It's a matter of how. Uh, someone, it's going to cost. Say, say someone says, well, I don't want to make that sacrifice and um, work out. Well, it's going to cost you. You're going to be unhealthy. The cost is going to happen either way. This is what, the, what is the cost that you're willing to pay? And I feel like it's a great calculated cost to sacrifice your life for Christ and the church. Because the, the payback is eternal life. I mean, you, you, you can't get a, if you're talking about investment purely from a selfish point of view, this is the greatest investment one can offer, get. We give Jesus our regs. He gives us royalty. We give him sin. He gives us sonship. Um, we, we, seek, we, we strive and sacrifice to grow in virtue, and his life grows within us. Yeah, it's going to, to raise a family in lines with the faith of the church, it's going to be hard. But it's worth it. It's worth it. Um, and that's what I would say. Yeah, I feel like, you know, statistically, young people still, they want to get married. It's still there. It's just written in our nature. Um, but I, I worry sometimes that we don't, they don't get the message of, it's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. I also don't want to make you think this is all a burden. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, that's what I'm trying. That's, that's what I wanted to ask you. Sell it to us. Tell us the beauty of it. Because <laughs> I realized here, oh, man, this is maybe the, <laughs> if my wife's listening right now, what? You know, you're not my cross. <laughs> you know? There's such a reward that goes. I should. There's such a reward uh, to living a life that God has for you. Not everyone is called to marriage, but if you are called to marriage and that is God's will for you, you will be the most happy in God's will for your life. Um, I, oftentimes, I mean, my wife has said this many times, we're lying in bed and we're about to fall asleep and she, she said to me this line, I wish other people could experience what we have. And I feel so, such great joy when she says that to me because I know that she's happy in her vocation as as a wife and mom it, this the, it brings me such great joy and I think that sometimes we get so caught up in 
looking for happiness for ourselves, we forget about the other. And marriage offers that, that opportunity to think about the other and work for the other and their happiness and their good. And it just so happens that when we do that, we actually find happiness for ourselves. And that's what I have found. My greatest joy comes from serving my kids. My greatest joy comes from serving my wife. In fact, one of the things that I was so afraid about was it and I in getting married was was the sacrifice actually was oh I can't do what I want to do I can't go to the mountains and climb mountain go mountain hiking or mountain biking go on those fishing trips that I used to do because I I, I I used to do a lot of that I still do some of it but I was giving up something did I give up something yes but I gained way more in return that I could have never calculated uh, as a single person, I always had to wake up in the morning and ask myself the question, what does God want of me today? And as a single person, there were so many different options. I, I was almost paralyzed by the choice. As a w husband and father, when I wake up in the morning, I don't have to, have to ask, what does God want of me today? It's already before me. I get to love my wife. I get to serve my kids. It's settled. It's done. There's no more discerning God's will in that area of my life. And that brings me so much peace. I don't have to think about it. I, will of God for me is to work for the good of my wife and my kids. It makes life, in one sense, very simple. Yeah, and even statistically, or some studies have shown, like, it's like more choice doesn't really lead us to happiness because you always... You always think about, well, am I getting the best deal? Am I getting the mm. most? You're looking at our neighbor, what they have yeah. and everything. <laughs> and uh, so it's like the happiness comes after we make the choice, you know, and committed to it and serving. Well, we're going to take a little break here. We're almost, we're driving. We're almost at the shrine and we can pick up uh, in a minute. I can. I just wanted to ask you about one more thing. Um, we talked a little bit about your, uh, your wife's uh, fitness well, tell us, what, what's the program she's promoting? Well, she, she mentors people in faith and fitness, so she matches people, uh, fitness goals with fitness programs that are online, and then she plugs them into an online Facebook group, a private Facebook group, where she provides accountability. But it's more than just, like, getting into shape. It's also spiritually, like, in the fitness industry, I think there's we've swung so far to one side where it's all about looks all about getting that six-pack ab, all about getting into that bikini, looking a certain way, and it's really uh, destructive. What, but God wants us to look after our bodies in a healthy way. They're, the virtue is in the mean. And so my wife, what she's trying to do is like, look, we got to look after ourselves to be healthy so that we can serve God. Um, so she helps people where she matches their fitness goals with a workout program and then gives them accountability online with other people like them and they check in. Hey, are you, are you working out? Number two, what are you eating? And number three, how's your spiritual life going? Yeah. So it's not divorced from the spiritual life. And I think when we first started this, well, she started this, I think about three or four years ago. And we first started working out together. She had had a baby in, or two, and she just felt like she needed to get back in shape. And I could have used to lose a few pounds myself. Mm -hmm. And so we started these workout programs. Um, and after a little while, I can't remember how long, she got back in shape to what she felt was good for her, and I'd lost 30 pounds. And I just know from a personal ex experience that it, that really helped me in my spiritual life. Because I, I, 
I wasn't as, I don't know, I wasn't as cranky with my kids. I was more, I felt like I had more patience. Uh, I reflected back on that, that experience of getting up consistently in the morning, working out. And we're not extreme. Like we do 25 minutes to 30 minutes a day, not, nothing more than that. We don't have time for more than that. And it's at home. It's this very little amount of time. I think anyone can afford 25 minutes in their day. Just put down the phone. Turn, don't turn on the TV. Like everyone has 25 minutes. So what I noticed was that it, for me, I don't like working out. <laughs> so it was, took a lot of discipline to get up out of the bed in the morning, put on my shoes and my, sh- my gym sh- shorts, go into the living room and do a workout that I didn't really want to do. And I was doing something that took a lot of self-discipline. And I, and I noticed that it started to spill over into my spiritual life. I started becoming more disciplined in prayer. I started being more disciplined in my emotional response to the kids because I could get impatient. Well, I wasn't getting as impatient as, as much. And I think there's something to be said that you, you grow in self-discipline in one area and it spills over and affects others. Vice versa, we have an area of our life that's really out of control starts spilling over into other areas of our life. If we're, for this to use food, for example, if we're eating uncontrollably, that area of our life is out of control, there's a good chance that other areas of our life are hurting as well. Mm-hmm. And so we can't separate, for example, the body from our spiritual life. You know, there's, there's a connection sometimes. Uh, I just, also, an example too that I, I realized just in myself, when I eat a lot of sugar, it affects me emotionally. I just know, you know, I have more of, I'm not, I'm pretty, I'm not an emotional guy. You know, I'm pretty even. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I just noticed that I swing higher and I swing lower when I eat more sugar. Mm-hmm. And that's not, for me, good for my mm-hmm. spiritual life. It's not good. So I just tried to cut out the sugar and that's, that's really helped me. And uh, your wife said it was like 80% diet, 20% exercise. What, tell us a little bit about both. Like, some of your other changes in diet and what kind of exercise because i love i was struck by the concept 25 30 minutes you know what is the balance right amount and you know you know how do you kind of can you describe a little bit about the workout Uh, well there's a variety of workouts that we do so we've done different programs um my favorites are the ones that don't include weights because um I just got to pull them out. Do more work. Yeah. Pull them out <laughs> underneath the bed. I don't. I don't like working out. <laughs> so there's some that were more a little bit. Get your wife to pull them out, or <laughs> <laughs> right. So sometimes it's more cardio, core movements down on the floor. You can do a lot of different exercises without weights that really challenge the core. They challenge all all parts of the body. So um, those are my kind of favorite ones. And uh, even if we do weights, rarely do I pull out a weight that's more than 25 to 30 pounds. Yeah. So these are light weights. So it's not like we need a whole rack of weights right. to work out. A uh, person doesn't have that, then they can get some resist- resistance bands. So there's different things. In terms of diet, uh, the 80-20 rule is, I don't know if she got that from somewhere or not. I have personal experience tells me it's probably pretty close. You can work out all you want, but if you stuff your face with nachos and cheese, you're not going to get anywhere. <laughs> so, that, and I happen to like nachos and cheese. So um, what we did was we stopped eating a lot of processed foods. Processed foods are packed with sugar. Uh, they are sweetened. They're br- they are created in a lab to bring a person to what the, the scientists call a bliss point, this, this 
the maximum amount of, of kick when they bite into that, so you want more. So it's it, the processed foods are designed to make profit, typically not designed to give the best nutritional value. So with that in mind, we s really cut down on processed foods. And the way that you do that is you walk around the supermarket and you go not to the aisles, but to the edge. And the edge is where all the healthy food is, the greens, the stuff that can't sit on that shelf for very long. Processed foods can last sometimes years. So we started doing that and reduced the amount of sugar. We started eating healthier, so a lot more fruits, more vegetables. Some audience might not like to hear that, but you, uh, the more that you eat something, the more that you tend to want it. Um, I really now love salads. It's, it's, you talk about people having acquired taste, like for scotch. I don't like scotch, but there's some people love their scotch, smoked scotch, like really, and it's expensive. I think it's crazy. You gotta develop a taste for something that I just don't like. Mm -hmm. Well, what if you take that and do it for something that's actually good for you? You're not, a person naturally, if you're hooked on sugar, you're not gonna like going off sugar. It's gonna be hard. And then other foods are not gonna taste as exciting. But the more that you go down that road, the less you want the sugar, the more that you're gonna develop a taste for the fruits and for the vegetables. This is what I've experienced, you know. Um, so does someone like it right away? No, they, they're not going to like it right away. Uh, but I happen to think it's worth it. <laughs> yeah, giving you more energy, you feel better, and helped your spiritual life even. Yeah, well, if you think about uh, emotionally, how does somebody feel if they're carrying an extra 100 pounds on them? I talk about myself, 30 pounds. Emotionally, I didn't feel very good. And when you're emotionally down, it's easier to do the wrong thing. No, it's easier. It doesn't mean that you can't do the right thing, but I know my weaknesses, and I know that when I'm down, I do dumb things, mm -hmm. spiritually speaking. And so this has helped me in my relationship with Christ. And really, that's what it comes down to. It's not about just, our bodies are going to die. We, we are eventually, our bodies going to say, no matter how good we look after ourselves, we're, the body's going to say, I've had enough. Mm -hmm. This is my last day. But we are our greatest asset. Are, so we are. We have a body. We have a soul. We might as well look after what God has given us, and it's it's irresponsible not to. Well, thanks so much for talking with us and put in a full day today. So. It's been great to be here. I'll come back anytime. <laughs>